Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is a physician, an author, a presenter and podcast host of Feel Better, Live More, a podcast which I have literally become obsessed with. I devour it and I, every time I walk away from it, I feel like I'm walking away with a new lease of life and a new direction. I, I absolutely love it. He's also the author of many books, but the latest is Happy Mind, Happy Life and the father of two children. Today's guest is Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Hi. Hello. I'm very excited about coming on the show, Giovanna. And uh, I'm delighted you love the podcast. That makes me really, really happy. I absolutely love it. And, and you know, because obviously with your, you can go through and sort of the titles of each podcast can really suck you in and you can think, oh, I'm going to go for that topic and, you know, see what they've got to say around that. It's one of those podcasts that I put on when I'm sorting stuff as well, because I think it's that thing, you know, when you want to have a conversation with someone and the best time to do it is when their mind is on something else almost, but not really like they're physically, they're doing something, but their mind is open. Totally. And in fact, you know, I found with my own kids, for example, that 
the best way to have a conversation about something important is yeah. often when you're both kind of semi-distracted doing something else rather than yeah. me looking at in their eyes and said okay right tell me about your day at school or you know what happened here and I, I think I can be quite intense sometimes without realizing it so I found that if I don't know if my son or my daughter's helping me I don't know cut vegetables or we're even if we're in the car together and they're in the front seat and we're not yeah. looking at each other like often stuff starts to come up right so <laughs> I, I think there is something in that and these days it's more like well if the kids are not feeling it for whatever reason don't force it just yeah. just try and make sure that they know that you understand you love them regardless of their mood or their anger or their state and if they want to talk about it at some point I'm here whenever yeah. you're ready if you want to I'm here yeah. and this is probably not something I did five or six years ago. It's something, you know, well, I'm 11, 11 and a half. Man, this June, it'll be 12 years as a dad. I mean, I don't know oh where that's gosh. gone. But, you know, my, my son's 11 and my daughter's nine. Right. And so, yeah, I've got nearly 12 years of experience as a parent. I guess the biggest thing I've learned as a parent is that kids don't do what you tell them to do they do what they see you doing yeah and one of my biggest drives to become a better person frankly has been my children like i don't want to you know when you see them start to pick things up or you see certain behaviors in them that you possibly don't like about yourself yeah it's like, well, wait a minute. I can either tell them not to do that, but they're going to keep seeing me do that. Or I can go to another room and kind of figure this stuff out and try and change it in me. Yeah. And then they'll no longer absorb that. So certainly a, a lot of, you know, you mentioned my new book, Happy Mind, Happy Life. A lot of the learnings I've had in that to help all of us feel happier, feel calmer, have a mm. have a improved sense of mental well-being I think have been taught to me by my children or certainly having kids has helped me like put a mirror up to myself to yeah. fight. You know, do you know what I mean? Have you found that in your, in, in your sort of experience as a parent? Absolutely. And I think I'm, um, I've started to look inwards when, when something happens and I can feel my body kind of react in a way that, and it takes you back to your own childhood and how I felt I was meant to behave or what was right, what was wrong. And it's definitely made me look inwards and kind of go, well, hold on, let's step back from this actually. What am I feeling? Is this actually anything to do with the situation that's happening right now? Can I react in this situation a lot better that's gonna help the child? But I think aware, I think, well, I thought I was gonna be Mary Poppins as a parent with other, other, other everyone, everyone else's kids I could be you know I could go around and play games and have fun and you know yeah. but when you've got your own kids there's there's so many different pressures going on you want the there's the organization stuff there's the clean that everything that goes on around actually kind of detracts from the core values actually that you want to pass on to your kids yeah absolutely and I think one of the things that we often don't recognize is that you know modern life is tough like yeah. we've never you know we've never really in human history tried to bring up children in nuclear families with one parent or two parents it's always taken a village it's taken a tribe yeah. right it's it's really funny my my wife a lot of her family lives in kenya and they spent a few years 
as kids her and her brother growing up in Kenya. Mm. And she, she would say to me that, you know what, I remember growing up that all our uncles and aunties and grandparents were around, all our cousins were around. So sometimes at weekends, like one of the uncles or aunties would come around and say, hey, come on, we're all going to the zoo or something. And they'd all go off together. So her parents would have time and space yeah, to kind of yeah. nurture their own relationship, you know, their own passions without necessarily feeling guilty. I think that's a big problem here is that, you know, we've moved away from family, friends, not everyone, but lots of us. So yeah. we, we go to the cities for our work and then we're wondering why actually life is so tough the whole time, why we can't be present and attentive with our kids, why we're not able to nourish our own relationship. Like, let's say in a couple, like it is hard work bringing up kids by yourself without yeah. extra help, especially if you're working. It's hard to devote your time and energy to them, to your career, but also to your partner, mm -hmm. you know, and there's so much expected offer. So I do think we have to not beat ourselves up so much and go, actually, it is pretty tough, this. And it's not always been like this. It really hasn't. This is no. a very modern phenomena. I always think that as well when people say about me time, there's a massive focus on me time and self-care, as there should be. But sometimes that can feel like another pressure because where in the day do I fit that? So yesterday, so I'm doing a charity trek in 12 weeks. So yesterday I went for a walk, but I came back and even though I know that that is, it's good for me, it's part of the walk, it's part of training, it's what I'm doing. There's a guilt that I have mm. been away and taken. It's, it's a very, I don't know, the brain does strange things. And I don't know whether that's something that will disappear a little bit as the kids get older. You know, their demand on me might be a little bit less. Um, I, I, I think it know. probably will. I certainly think for me, I, I've had that guilt for much of my parenting career yeah. right I've, I've, I feel that's something that I you know for me I feel it's been like one of one of the things that's really helped me is explaining it to the kids and actually saying hey daddy's gonna go for a walk now it's really important for me because I'll be working really hard and I know that mm. actually if I do that, I'll feel a lot calmer. Yeah. Uh, I'll feel less stressed. And therefore, I think we're going to have a lot more fun afterwards because mm -hmm. of that. Or, or whatever the, the reason might be, one of the things I've learned and, and, and really grown into as a parent is to have these conversations with the kids. Like mm. those conversations never happened to me when I was a child. I, I very much grew up in a, certainly in a family. I don't know if it was cultural or generational that's, you know, kind of a little bit like kids should be seen and not heard kind right. of vibe, you know, where I don't think my view on things was actually, you know, really listened to and taken seriously because I'm just a kid. Yeah. And certainly one thing I'll give my wife a huge amount of credit for is that I think I've learned this from her. She's always like, listen to the children and her family, I was saying, her parents, like even when they were like four, like, you know, really pay attention to what they're saying and actually make them feel, yes, you have been heard. So, you know, your mm. opinion is valid. It's not just a kid's opinion. It's absolutely real. So that's something I think has really helped me as a parent is being open and honest and having these conversations. You know, a big thing for me is saying sorry to my kids. Like if yeah. for, for whatever reason I've been, um, I don't know, 
distracted or short, let's say, actually saying, hey, you know what? That was not about you. That was about daddy. Daddy was feeling stressed with work. Yeah. And actually, I'm really sorry. I could have said that differently. And then next yeah. time I'll try my best to. And it feels really good because I think for me personally, as someone who who I think has tried to achieve perfection in anything I've ever done my entire life, it's been very toxic, actually. It's come at a huge cost to my mm. inner happiness and well-being. If you're not careful, you can actually put that onto the kids as well. And so I think it does several things that I think it helps me feel better that, oh man, I don't have to be a perfect parent. Like it's okay to be a fallible human. And actually it, it feels better for me. It also, I think it's a really nice and important lesson for the kids that, oh, you know, mum and dad are actually, they can make mistakes and say yeah. sorry. You know, going back to what I said before, they don't do what they say you know, they, they don't necessarily do what you tell them to do. It's what they see you doing. If if they grow up in a in an environment that actually, oh, it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay yeah. to make mistakes and say sorry. And next time I'll try and do it differently. Well, isn't that a wonderful life skill to teach them? Yeah. But also, if you had been short with another adult, you would apologize. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it is that thing of actually... We and we ask them to apologize all the time, you know. Yeah. Oh, don't don't hit your brother. Don't do this. Or you know, share, say sorry. You know, you 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 do that all the time. So it is that leading by example. And and one small thing that my wife and I try and do, which is which has certainly helped our relationship, which in turn helps us be better parents. It's not. I don't think we can just look at parenting advice. It says, what do we do with our children? Because how you show up to interact with your children also depends or also hugely influences how we are as parents. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you if you show up, you can get all the best parenting advice in the world, but if you show up into that interaction with your child, you're super stressed out, you've not had any time to unwind, you're having some friction in your own relationship. Well, for many of us, that's going to spill over into how we interact with our kids. Mm. So we call it the five minute tea ritual. And once the kids are in bed, and we've, we have fallen out of the habit recently a little bit, but we when we do fall out of the habit, we get back into it because we are yeah. quickly reminded as to why we do it. But it's basically before we go on our devices or our own work or whatever we want to consume on YouTube or anything <laughs> for five minutes and the requirement, or, or not the requirements, it's not like a, a punishment if we don't do it, but the goal is for five minutes, we sit there with a cup of, let's say, mint tea, and we catch up with each other. Now, it's so simple. It's just simply, you know, you know, how was your day today? What happened? You know, the reason we need something like this is because modern life has become so distracted. You can feel like passing ships in the yeah, night. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So we have that. And it's, you know, it's not like at the end of five minutes, that I'm like, hey, See you later. Uh, my alarm's hey, gone hey, off hey my babe, phone. listen, we're done. We're done. Can I go on my YouTube? No. <laughs> sometimes the five minutes bleeds. It becomes 20, 30 minutes, an hour. But yeah. some days, if I'm busy or she's busy, we'll do the five minutes. And one of them will say, hey, listen, I'd love to do more, but I do have a few emails I need to get off. And so what, what I love about five minutes and why I'm a big fan of making changes really simple and easy, whether and it's achievable, yeah. whether it's behavior change, you know, movement change, whatever, it's because the five minutes never feels like too much. We've always got five minutes. And so that's the bar. 
make it five minutes. Hey, some days, as I say, it becomes an hour, but other days it just is five. But if you set the bar at one hour, okay, my relationship with my partner is really important to me. Every night for an hour, we're going to sit there and, you know, not be distracted. Okay, great. You may do it for two or three days while she got that motivation, but then life will get in the way. You're like, oh, we can't do an hour. So let's not do it. It's the same with anything, meditation, mindfulness, working out, set the bar too high and it becomes very, very hard to meet it. And so you just give up in the end. Yeah. What was your childhood like? What was your relationship like with your mum and dad? You know, I guess there's many ways you could answer that. Um, I think we were a close family. Mm. The context here is that mum and dad were immigrants from India to the UK in the 1960s and the 1970s. And we didn't have any family around. So all my uncles, aunts, pretty much grandparents, they were all in Calcutta in India. So it was just us really. Right. And, you know, my dad worked really, really hard. And when I say hard, I mean, you know, as I as I share in the opening. in a book, like, yeah, it he's killed him. working hours, yeah. It, it killed dad. There's no question this drive for success that I think is a real problem in society. And I've been guilty of it as well. You know, I think we mistake success for happiness. And mm. they can overlap sometimes. But for many of us, they're two completely separate things. And dad basically would work. He was a he was a doctor. He was a consultant at Manchester Royal Infirmary, but he would only sleep three nights a week because he'd come home from work from his day job at around something like half five, six. I can still remember it clearly. He'd come back. Mum would give him dinner. He'd sit there, have his dinner. Then he'd go upstairs. He would shave. And then a car would pick him up at 7 p.m. And then he'd be out all night doing GP house calls around Manchester, you know, driving loads and loads of miles around in, you know, maybe 20, 30 house calls. Yeah. He'd come back home at seven in the morning. And again, he'd have breakfast in the kitchen, go there, shave. I mean, shaving was obviously really important to that. And then he'd drive into Manchester, like another 30, 40 minutes drive to then do his day job. So he only slept three nights a week for 30 years. So when then- was his time with you and the family? Do you not remember? I, d- no. I don't. I don't remember seeing Dad that much. Um, you know, I do remember little moments where I'd play snooker with Dad. We had a little snooker mm-hmm. table or table tennis. And Mum tells me now that actually he did prioritise that when he was around. He would do stuff with us. But the truth is, he wasn't around much. I think it was really hard for my Mum. She was pretty isolated. I think Mum. Mum used to be addicted to soap operas. Now, when I say addicted. It was Neighbours, Home and Away, Heart to Heart, Coronation yeah. Street, Brookside, EastEnders, yeah. Bold and the Beautiful, The Works. And here's the interesting thing. When we would go on holiday in the summer, mum would have the video recorder set. She would tape every single episode. So she would. Ha- My she- mum would do the same and then she'd do the ironing and she'd watch it all back. Yeah. And, and again, look, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with that, but I can really see that mum felt a deep sense of isolation. And so... Yeah you know, trying to bring up young kids by herself in a foreign country when she's not used to the culture or anything, they were her solace. And I kind of feel for many of us, the equivalent these days is an addiction to Instagram or TikTok Mm -hmm. or Facebook. It's just when you have a a deep hole within you, we seek these things to help fill that hole. And often we look at that behavior and we say, oh, try and change that behavior. 
whether it's reducing time on Instagram or reducing alcohol or whatever it might be. But it's just, I don't think it's the right approach because every behavior we have is serving a role. And if you don't understand what role it's serving, it's very hard to change it in the long term. If, if our alcohol consumption is a way of managing the stress in our life, well, you can white knuckle it in dry January for two weeks and three weeks, but you will always creep back mm. because unless you found a way to either reduce the stress in your life or manage it in a different way, you're going to go back to the wine glass or the beer. So it's really trying to understand, and this is something I've done in my own life, understand where do my behaviors come from, deal with that, and then you no longer have to try to stop the behaviors. They just yeah. sort of go. And so in answer to your question, what was my childhood like in my relationship with my parents. I would say I was very close with my parents. I don't think I saw dad that much growing up. I spent a lot of time with mum. One of the things that I, you know, because that that's a very open-ended question that, mm. that, that I can, there's all kinds of ways I could answer that. But one thing I, I do think about a lot at the moment, and it's something I have written about in this new book, because I think it really, it's been such a big part of my life is, I, when I was a kid, like I, if I came back from school with 19 out of 20, it would always be, okay, what, what did you get wrong? Why didn't you get 20 out of 20? If I came back with 99%, it was like, you know, why, why not 100%? Or if I came second, okay, who came first? Why didn't you come first? You know, that was my norm, right? So at the time, you don't realize that's just your normal, yeah. right? It's only recently over the past five or six years, pretty much since my dad died nine years ago and I've been on this real inner journey to try and understand myself better and understand whose life am I really leading my life or someone else's, that I've, I've really understood that I took on the idea when I was a kid that I'm only loved and worthy. I'm only enough when I'm top of the class or I've got straight A's. And therefore, you spend your whole life with that mindset where you think your self-worth is dependent on you being the best at something. Mm. And that is a very, it's a very lonely way to live. It's very toxic because then you, that hole you have inside your heart, you look to fill with all kinds of things, sugar, you know, gambling in my 20s. I used to love gambling, right? Never to the point where you would say, oh, this is a big problem, but yeah, probably more than I should have done. But since I've repaired this hole in my heart over the past few years and understood it and have compassion for it, I no longer have these addictive type tendencies and behaviors because they were just a consequence of, of me not feeling good enough in who I was. Now, just to be really clear, I love my parents. I, yeah. I think that they brought me up. I'd like to think they brought me up really well. And, you know, I wouldn't wish it any other way. And when I was writing this book over the last year, and I live very near to my mum, I, I went around to mum's one day and I said, hey mum, can I ask you, why, why did you say that to me when I was a kid? And she said, well, look, I wanted you to be the best that you could be and I know how capable you are. I didn't do the same to your brother. I know what your capability is and I wanted you to be the best you can. And it really teaches you that there's no one reality in anything in life. There's multiple perspectives and it depends on which side of the page you're sitting on which side of the table on which perspective you're going to take from mum and dad's perspective they faced racism discrimination they faced glass ceilings in particular mm -hmm. jobs you know dad changed speciality because he couldn't progress in the in in the field he wanted to so he ended up in a specialty he didn't 
like. He, in fact, yeah. he hates it, but he did it for family stability and security. And they that's wa- the thing, isn't it? He was working his socks off for and us. providing in a different way, but not giving you him. Exactly. And I don't, I don't think dad, you know, it's, it's, I don't think dad made necessarily mistakes or it was wrong. Like, I don't know what it's like to leave the country of my birth, to leave yeah. everything I know and come to a different country with literally nothing in your wallet and start from scratch. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know the pressure on creating a life for your family here and the pressure of sending money home to feed all your parents, your brothers. You know, mm. I don't know what that feels like. So dad did what he felt he had to do. But it's so interesting, like they came to it from love. They're like the way, and you'll see this with a lot of Asian families, actually. Certainly I can speak for Indian immigrant families because that's my background. There's a real focus on academia because in people like my parents and their heads, it's this simple. The way that you avoid going through the problems and the discrimination that we faced is you excel at school. Then you go to one of the best universities and you get one of these you know, high status jobs like a doctor or a lawyer, and then you'll have no problems in life. Now, I think that's a very myopic perspective because Mm. I understand where it comes from, but I know many people, not only from my background, I I know so many doctors, Giovanna, who are, they're deeply unhappy. They went into that job because they thought they should. Oh, I'm pretty good at academia. I can get good grades. So yeah, I should probably end up being a doctor. The problem is it's a slog. It's a yeah. hard job. It it takes a lot from you. So I know I know many, and I'm not gonna say I know, but I, I've got a few friends who, you know, in their thirties and their forties, medicine's not for them, but they feel trapped. Like that's the bed that they made. They've got the mortgage, they've got the payments on a car or whatever. Like mm-hmm. And they feel trapped. And so to compensate, what do they do? They drink to excess on a Friday and Saturday night to help them numb the discomfort that they feel because their life isn't panning out the way that they really want it to be. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know how we got there from you asking me about my <laughs> my, my, my childhood, but, but ultimately I love my parents. I think they brought me up really well. I think they did the best that they could, but I've also learned that there are certain things that I adopted that whilst on the outside, it look, you know, people on the outside, it looks as though, you know, I have met whatever society's definition of success is. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would say, wrong, and you've you've nailed it. Yeah. Right. You've you've got four international best-selling books, you have, you know, a huge podcast that, you know, over a million people listen to and watch each week. You know, you've got a good job. It all looks great, but for much of my life, and even at the start of my public facing career, it came at a huge cost. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't, it's almost, it's almost as if I had to go through that and get it Yeah. to realize, oh, this is not happiness. This is, this doesn't make you feel good. All you do, you just, you just, you just raise the bar each time. So now you have to achieve this to feel good. Mm-hmm. And it's, like this is the first book launch I'm going into. Totally relaxed. Like I've really, really detached myself from the outcome now. Like I know, I genuinely know with my heart, this is the best thing I can come up with at the moment. I think it's the most important book I've written. I think it's the most, 
has the biggest potential to really help people change their lives and see their lives differently. I'm mm -hmm. so proud of it. Whether it sells 100,000 copies or one copy, right? It doesn't change that that's a piece of work that I'm proud of. Yeah. My children do not give two hoots whether daddy's at number one in the charts <laughs> or he's at 100,000 in the chart. They don't care. My yeah. wife, she's never cared about this stuff. I think that was one of the reasons I was on a deep level, I was drawn to it. That sort of stuff has never, never bothered her at all. And so I think you really learn, I think the last two years has really, has really taught me a lot about happiness. Like I am never happier. And let's say on a Sunday, we go out for a walk, my wife, myself, my two kids, we're away for a couple of hours in nature, no phones with us. Honestly, like, I honestly don't think I could be any happier than when I'm in that moment right mm. there. Do you know what I mean? And is that surprising to you? Because growing up, when you thought about your future, did you think about a family and did you realize that it would give you so much? Not consciously, yeah. I thought I'd be a dad and I think I wanted a family. But I don't think I'd really thought deeply about why. Really? Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's kind of what you do, right? You sort of, <laughs> like, I don't know. I've really realized also that as a child, what you're exposed to becomes your reality and what mm. you think is possible in the world. You know, I, I really got this in, the, in 2015 and 2017, I had my own show on BBC One called Doctor in the House, where I'd go and live alongside families who were struggling with their health for four to six weeks and help them by helping them make changes to their lifestyle. And I remember it, one of the families, I went to school with one of the one of the kids and I was I was hanging out at the school and seeing things and I remember phoning my wife I think that night I think I was outside the house just saying hey babe I, our kids are having such a different experience of the world than some of the kids I've seen today like I had this real deep realization that you know I feel very fortunate I'm able to expose my children to all kinds of things and all sorts of opportunities and therefore they're even seeing their dads I'm saying some, you don't have to choose one thing. When people say, what are you going to be? I, I don't like that question. It's like, why yeah. do you have to put yourself in a box now? Oh, I'm going to be this. I'm like, well, look, what's daddy? Daddy's a, he's an author. He's a podcaster. He's mm -hmm. a doctor. He's a public speaker, right? I'm a keen musician, right? Although I don't do that professionally. It's like, well, <laughs> why do you have to put people in a box? Yeah. And, and so what you're exposed to. So I was exposed to a nuclear family, you know, mum and dad were married until, you know, married their whole lives, you know, until dad died, all their friends and family were sort of, you know, couples with children. So that's my version of reality. So I go to medical school. So of course, what do I, you know, of course you, 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 you get married and have children. So I'm not saying I sleepwalked into it, yeah. I guess. I'm just more aware now that I'm not sure I really knew what it would be like how can you know yeah. what it's really going to be like but i will say this having a family having children has actually taught me more about life and happiness than i think anything else because i watch them and like kids have got it until we school it out of them mm -hmm. and and we we suck it out of them like they've got it like they are I remember when my when my kids were like, oh my, you know, both of them four or five, they could just sit there for hours trying to do a jigsaw puzzle, <laughs> right? And you you come in and and try and say something, and they're not responding, 
And it's not that they're trying to ignore you. They're just fully engaged in the moment. They're not, they're not trying to plan the future. They're not worrying about the past. Mm -hmm. They are present in the moment, enjoying things. I also find that they're not trying to compete or make themselves better, you know, compared to the people around them until school starts to have, oh, you know, you came top. Here's a, you know, this is your prize for coming top. And Look, I'm, I'm also not for you, you know, that was such a massive part of your childhood. Yeah. You know, your parents wanting you to be tops. And you must look at that now with your kids and see that in a very different way. Totally. And so that maybe maybe we see the things in our children that, you know, we see things in life that we need. Right. Mm. That's what connects to us. There's so much we could take from our children, from our parents. But I guess we see the things that we really need to see. So I feel they've taught me a lot of the lessons that I've I really needed to learn about how to be present, how to be fully engaged, how to just be happy when people around you are also doing well. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I love being a dad. Like I, I, I literally love being a dad. It's not who I am. Yeah. But it's a very important, it's the most important role I consider myself to have in life is bringing up these children well. And what is bringing them up well? I spent a lot of time thinking, um, as you could probably tell, I, I, <laughs> I've been thinking about this idea of shaping your children. What does that mean? And I think there's something potentially problematic about even that phrase, shaping your children. Why should we shape them? Like one thing I'm, I'm really conscious of as a dad these days is how can I be there for them? How can I help them when they need help? How can they teach them skills, but without trying to imprint mm. my view of the world on them? I probably, I think for much of my, you know, for much of my life as a dad, or certainly in the early days, I probably did. I probably did try and, oh no, no, it's like this. No, this is how you should see this. And now I very much take a much more, I want them to express who they are. How can I possibly know what's right for them like this has been a big realization for me i don't know what's right for them i feel i can teach them things mm. i feel i can teach them important values that the, the values that we really the things that i really want to you know not even impress upon them but showcase them as a is compassion curiosity you know how you treat someone else is one of the most important things to me you know treating every person you meet and interact with, with, with real compassion. Your reality is your reality. Everyone's got a different reality. Everyone's, you know, the phrase that has probably had the biggest impact on my life over the past years in terms of my happiness and how content and calm I, I generally feel these days is, if you were that other person, you'd be doing exactly the same thing. And when you really think about that phrase, what, what I'm trying to say is, if you were that other person with their childhood, with their upbringing, with their parents, with the bullying they may have experienced at school, with the toxic boss that they had when they were 18, you would probably have the same view of the world as they do. And therefore you would make the same decision as mm. them. And what it does to me is if I'm ever getting, finding myself getting annoyed by someone else's behavior, I think, oh, you know, or you get into that place where you look down on it. It's like, well, hold on wrong. And if you were that person, you'd probably be doing the same thing. And 
it really helps me. It yeah. really helps me. And it's something I really want. That's a lesson I feel that I'm helping my children learn. And I just mm -hmm. think it helps create compassionate children. And if yeah. we all, if we all create compassionate children, well, imagine the world in 10 years or 15 years, what a kind, compassionate world it's going to be for all of us. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. My new thing that I'm sort of living by is listen harder. Yeah. And I... I uh, I put that in everything, whether that's listening to the kids, listening to other people. There's all, you know, I think you take so much when you really listen to people. Yeah. Listening's a skill though. Mm. Listening is a skill. And I think it's one of the most important skills. Like, are we listening with a view to respond or are we really listening? You know, I, I thought about this in, in the context of a doctor-patient relationship. Connect first, educate seconds. And I thought, well, what is a doctor-patient relationship? It's a relationship. The same values and principles apply with my wife. Like, if she doesn't feel I've heard her, but I'm just trying to solve her problem, it doesn't go so well, you mm -hmm. know? In fact, one, one, one thing I've learned as a father, but I guess as a husband, and I'm not saying this is necessarily a male-female thing. I think it possibly is for, for some people, but... Often when she shares something with me, she doesn't want a solution from me. No. She doesn't. I, for, I think for the first 10 years of my marriage, I, was, <laughs> I would try and solve it. And I've, so you could call me a slow learner, but I was like, oh my, she doesn't want that. She just wants me to sit and listen and know that I've heard. Mm -hmm. and, and now, so we're so much better at communicating. So I feel now that, and sometimes when I'm not sure, I'll say, hey, babe, can I just be, just so I've got this really clear. Do you want me to just listen to you here or do you want me to offer a solution? And we've got to say, no, I just want you to listen. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I know, even if I'm itching and I think in my head- <laughs> Just sit like, there and make the I, right noises at the right time and you I know good. the solution, I know the solution. <laughs> I've actually learned, mate, it's not your solution to offer here. She yeah. doesn't want it. When she wants it, she will ask you. And it's been a, it's been a real development for me, a real learning. I think it's very much improved my communication with my wife mm. you know we we've, i think we've always had a pretty good marriage it's i think it's as we learn to communicate better but children also changes that and you both had totally. very hectic careers totally. before having kids and that's all changed as well because your wife is now working with you on the podcast and the books oh. and everything and she's no longer a barrister but they're both very massive careers really demanding careers yeah. and and there's a massive shift and then there's two little humans in the house that require something else of you so it might it's got to have changed so much over the it, years yeah it, it really has and you know working together definitely has challenges for sure yeah. <laughs> you know 
And it's something we're really thinking about. How can we start to change that a little bit? Because if your whole life is around parenting and, and you're always talking about work and cuts or edits on the new podcast and when it's going out and all this stuff, it's actually, well, yeah, some days are manic and things don't go the way that I planned. But I've realized that that's kind of superficial. That's fine. But underneath it all, that Rongan feels pretty good these days. I don't yeah. feel I've got that big void that I've had for much of my life. And what do you think that shift has been? Has it been reflecting on your childhood and your upbringing and those pressures and kind of letting go of things? Has it been understanding your dad and your upbringing? You know, what do you think has has led you to be the way that you are now? It's a combination of all those factors. I can't say it's just this one thing. I did yeah. that one thing and then suddenly life was wonderful afterwards. No, it's been hard work, right? The key moment was... Dad died in 2013. In fact, as we have this conversation, it's almost nine years to the day. And that was, like for many people, a you know huge moment in my life, the first time one of my parents had died. That's a, a big loss, I'm sure, for most people. But I had moved back from uni in Edinburgh and working in Edinburgh after I qualified. I'd moved back to the northwest of England to help my mum and my brother be a carer for about 15 years. So my life revolved around dad's illness. So I would see dad at least three times a day. It was manic trying to be a GP, trying to nurture my marriage and also be a carer for dads. So when dad died, I suddenly had this big hole. Yes, emotionally, spiritually, but also like physically in my day-to-day -day life, I suddenly had all this time. And in that time, I'd just go for walks and I'd just think and I'd reflect. And I started to ask myself at that point, these big existential questions like, who am I? You know, whose life am I leading? What's the point of life? All this kind of stuff, right? I needed that big, you know, juggernaut of, a, of, a, of, a, of an experience, you know, my dad dying for me mm. to start asking myself those questions. And as I did, it, it, you know, it ended up in me shifting the direction of my career. To have this concept in the book called core happiness that mm. I genuinely think is practical for people and it can help them look at everything in their life and go, oh, why does this move me more towards happiness? And why does this take me away from happiness? So this idea that happiness is a skill that you can train and develop once you know how. And this idea of core happiness, I want people to think of it as a, as a three-legged stool, right? Each leg is separate, but essential. And if one of those legs starts to get weak, your core happiness is gonna to start to fall over. And the three legs are alignment, contentment, and control, right? So alignment is when the person who you really are inside and the person who you are actually being out there in the world are one and the same. So it's basically when you're, I guess when your values, if people know what their values are and their actions are one and the same, right? So for much of my life, they weren't. But mm. more and more now, I'm becoming more and more aligned. So that's one leg of the stool. Contentment is what are the things in life that give you that sense of peace and calm with what you're doing, right? That's contentment. And the, and the third leg is control. It's not about controlling the world. The world is inherently uncontrollable. If we think that actually life will only be good when the world around me is a certain way or the people around me act in a certain way. Like this is a big realization for me. I realized that, hey, listen, mate, if you think that you're gonna be happy when 
your friends and your colleagues and the people around you start behaving a certain way, you're going to be waiting a long time. Well, and also it's that thing that we can definitely relate that to parenthood. Oh, you yeah. Know, children are so unpredictable. You know, you can put so much pressure on yourself to create the best day ever where you're all going to go out and have the most fun. And actually, you go out, everyone's having meltdowns. Yeah. No one, you know, nothing's going <laughs> Including as the you parents. Plan. Exactly. Everyone's crying. But the days and the moments, or it's the moments really that happen that are organic, that there's no pressure. It just comes out of nothing. That's where happiness lies. Yeah, it's I, not I, in the controlled, created fun. Exactly. And when I use the word control, and I thought mm. long and hard, should I use the word control? And the reason I did is not about controlling things. It's about a sense of control, right? Mm. So what can you do in your life that gives you a sense of control, that things are okay? And it could be something little like, you know, for a busy mum who doesn't feel they have time for themselves, it could be, well, if you have a morning cuppa, could you go into a different room with that cup of tea and just sit there with your journal for five minutes and just write a few yeah. things down, right? Even if the kids are kind of screaming in the background and trying to beat them, beat each other up while they're getting changed for school, right? And, and there's one patient I'm thinking of in particular who that really worked with. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do a morning routine. I don't have time for this. I said, okay, okay. What do you like doing? So, well, what do you do in the morning? Well, first thing I do, doesn't matter what's going on, it's I make a cup of tea. I said, okay, so what do you do while you're having it? Well, you know, the kids are doing whatever they're doing, but I'll just probably just catch them on Instagram. I said, okay, cool. So you've got a few minutes then to do that. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what if you did something that wasn't consuming from the world, which then starts to impact your state and what you think? What if you did something that allowed you to get some of your anxieties and worries out of your mind and onto paper? She said, does it work? I said, yeah, it absolutely works. And so she literally, every morning, She'd have a cup of tea. She'd, li she'd literally go into her living room and just sit there with a journal and write down anything on her mind. And her anxiety went right down. Really? And yeah, and it led to all other what I call ripple effect positive changes in her life. So she didn't have to overhaul her life at all. We, I just needed to help her find what's the right thing for you. And what that does is it gave her a sense of control, a sense of control that, oh, no matter what's going on around me, whether it's toxic things on the news, mm -hmm. whether it's people being mean to me on social media, whether it's my kids having a meltdown, you can't control that, that's always gonna happen. But if you can do a few little things each day that ground you and connect you and give you that sense of control over your life, you will show up in a much better way in all those interactions around you. So that's something I do in my own life very much. I have a few things that, it's really important to me that I try and do each day because when I do them, I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a better human. I'm a better yeah. husband. I'm a better father. And when I don't do them, I find I'm much more reactive in, in all of my relationships. Self-awareness is a huge part of it as well, though, isn't it? It's being aware of when you feel like that, when you feel, well, when you know that you just, you're not being the best version of you. Yeah. You are actively unhappy, actually. I know I can go, I can have a day where I'm just like, wow, everything is just, I don't think I've smiled today at all. And that's yeah. just feeding off on everything. And and I think actually awareness and then being able to have those little those little moments that can change that is so powerful. Yeah, and you've, you've just nailed a point there, right? You asked me what was the big change for me. I would say it was awareness, mm. right? You know, talking about parenting, 
my son and I used to go and do the park run a lot. And we do again, but the lockdowns really just threw yeah. that all out the window. Basically, we just, we hardly did it. I couldn't really get him out running at all. The park run was what he liked doing. And so we really stopped for about a year. And I remember, we, I don't think we missed one now for about three months. It's like how we start off each weekend on a Saturday, daddy and you know my son, we head down and we spend a bit of time together, we do the run together. And I remember the first time, maybe this was October, something like that last year. He, you know, he was a bit sluggish in the morning. He wasn't kind of feeling it. So, like, oh, you know, and I remember saying to my wife was in bed, she was just sort of stirring. So I thought, yeah, I think I can have a conversation with her. She's, like, she's, not, she's not properly asleep. I said, hey, babe, you know, I don't want to force him. Like, but he goes, no, you should definitely take him. He always feels better. And I just needed that reassurance. So I, I gently persuaded him to come with me. He did the run and he had this big smile on his face. He had a smile during it. He had a smile afterwards. So I made sure that I took a few moments afterwards to say, hey, darling, listen, how do you feel right now? Yeah, daddy, I feel really good. I feel like I've got more energy now. Like I feel really good. I said, okay, just remember about an hour ago, you didn't want to do anything and you want to stay at home. And that's completely fine because I feel like that sometimes. But isn't it incredible how just going out and doing this can change the way that you feel. It goes, yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is, and I do this with my daughter as well, is with certain things, I try and help them pay attention to how they feel afterwards. Because, you know, we're all doing the best we can. Let's see when they're adults, if, if what I've done actually works <laughs> and it's helped. Like, Imagine we're all just messing our kids up. Trying yeah, to time will tell. But, I, but what I hope I'm doing is I'm going, oh, I hope that when he's like 16 or 17 or I don't know, 21 and living his life that he's like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, I feel sluggish now, but I know, you know, I've, I've learned that when I go and move my body, I feel better afterwards. So that's yeah. certainly my hope is that I'm teaching them important life skills mm -hmm. that I don't think I learned. I don't think, I don't think my parents taught me those skills. They taught me lots of really important skills for sure. But I guess I'm prioritizing some of the things that I feel I missed out on like I'm so cautious with my kids not to make them feel like I ended up feeling that they're only worthy when they get a certain grade. Yeah. So I probably go the other way. <laughs> like I probably <laughs> I probably go completely the other way. No, no, darling, I love you, irrespective. Doesn't matter what happens, you know, daddy loves you. So I'm I sometimes wonder, have you gone to the other extreme now because you're so <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also lovely that you're able to do those things together, like a park run. You know, and and, and taking that time to do something that not only they enjoy but you enjoy i think it's really important and i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out what is that thing that i could do with my daughter mm. as well because it's you know it's probably been easier with my son because like he likes a lot of the same things that i like like he also likes playing snooker we've got a little snooker table at home i played with my dad i love yeah. the game so i have to be very conscious that okay, well, this is great, but, you know, I do think about it a lot. I think, okay, what's the thing that you can do with your daughter to give her the same amount of time and attention? And do you know what I mean? It's something yeah. I, I do think about a lot. Yeah. And maybe I used to make myself feel quite bad about and guilty. I don't really do that as much anymore, if at all. It's more about, okay, you're aware of it. Mm -hmm. Now let's try and figure out. And let's, 
And let's not overthink it. Let's just try out a few different things yeah. and see what sticks and see what yeah. she likes doing with me. Yeah. Rogan, if you could write a letter on fatherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I'd write the letter for my younger self. I'd say something like, you don't have to be a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Do the best that you can. If you get it wrong, it's okay. You don't need to be perfect. Your parenting doesn't need to be perfect. And your kids don't need to be perfect. We're all perfectly imperfect. Mm. So take the pressure off, do your best, and it'll all work out in the end. I love that. And I finish each podcast with you finishing three sentences. So the first one is being a dad means. Being a dad means being able to say sorry and not feeling that that makes you any lesser of a person. Since having children, I? Since having children, I've become a better human being in every aspect of my life. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when I'm in the moment, fully engaged and present, with my children and with my wife. Rangan, thank you so, so much. It's been such a delightful chat. I literally feel like I've just slipped into one of your podcasts and just been sat nodding at you for an hour and a half. <laughs> I, I've, I've so enjoyed that. I can't tell you how much. And I feel, I feel we went into all kinds of areas that I've not thought about for a while mm. in my own life and to do with my parenting. So... You know, I really appreciate that. I want to thank you for that because I think I'll be thinking about a lot of the things that came up for the rest of the day and probably for the rest of the weekend. So thanks for the invite and uh, yeah, really enjoyed coming on your show. Thank you. Happy Mum, Happy Baby is produced by Pixie Productions Limited and is part of the Acast Creator Network. Have you noticed there's new pictures of me wearing some rather lovely hoodies and t-shirts? Yes, that's right. Happy Mum, Happy Baby Clothing is here. We launched today, so you might even be the first to see it. Hurrah! Now, I love me a quote. I love a t-shirt quote. So I wanted to bring some of those quotes that really show how we feel. So my favourite is flipping shattered. Because yes, I am feeling flipping shattered the majority of the time. And my second favourite is the Grow Love Jumper in sizes for adults and mini-me's too. Hurrah! Big love from me, G. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.